0: If I were to ask you, what are the three biggest deals in your life right now? What are the top three? Three biggest deals going on in your heart, and your mind right now. What, what would they be? If we were to stretch that out to what are the, what are the top five? Or if we'd break it out even, what are the top 10 things that are the biggest deals to you right now? Those are the things, whether it's one, whether it's three, whether it's five, whether it's 10, whether you could list 50. But the things that that matter to you right now. Those are the things that the invitation from the Lord to us is, lay them at my feet. Lay them at my feet. No one can come up with your list for you. That's your list. And if you never turned your phone off, if you never get away from man-made, man-created sound to be still and to be quiet, you and I can forfeit what Jesus wants to bless us with by listing before him, unto him, and bringing to him the specific things that are the biggest deals to us there's so much noise going on, there's so much music, there's so many places to be engaged that it's an escape. It's an escape. We never stop long enough to put our hands around so that we can hand them to the Lord, the things that really are the biggest deals to us right now. And the Lord is saying, I believe calling us, inviting us, encouraging us to take those things and lay them at his feet. Now, last week we talked some about what those things might be. Today, just briefly, how do we do that? How, how do we lay these things at his feet? And I want to give you just a few. Some, this is not an exhaustive list, but some things that I hope will help. Number one, to lay something at the feet of Jesus, somebody you care about, some problem that is close at hand, something that you're confused about, can't really understand, or maybe it's some dream, some, some wish, some longing, some hope, some passion that works within you for something that doesn't yet exist, but it's good and it could be great. The first thing is this, now, don't, don't let the religious sound of this, uh, don't, don't let that lose you. Seek His presence first. If we're going to lay something down at the feet of somebody, we at least need to know that their feet are in the room, right? We at least have some kind of sense that this this is not just some sort of a sort of a little mental exercise, some little some little religious thing. The sense His presence. Here, here's here here's one way that that happens in Matthew eleven. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Instead of us thinking that we can only find Jesus when we're at the top of our game, he cuts right through all of that, right to the places of the deepest areas of our humanity, one thing he does know about you and me, and it is the commonality of our weariness. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first part of that is all the little things that just are on us all the time, the present tense stuff that can wear us out, drains our energy. Heavy laden means the things that were done to us, put upon us, that happened, that we had nothing to do with, but the effect of those things is still very vivid today and they they can drain us, they can cause us to be weary. Come to me all who are weary from the present right now stuff, as well as those who are still carrying a burden from back yonder that wears you down, Every day you get up and have to live out from under that. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I I want to suggest to you a two-word prayer. That I believe, at least in my life, in my heart, it's helped me to find the presence, the sense of the presence of the Lord. Two words. Deep rest, Lord. Deep rest, Lord. Deep rest for my deep tired. We're not sinners because we get tired. We're not in trouble because we get tired. It's a reality. So Jesus says, you come to me tired. You come to me with your weariness. And you'll find me there. You'll find me at the place of your weariness. And at that place... I will give you rest. I don't know how to explain it, folks. I don't know how or why God chooses to do it that way. But it just seems like when we literally will take Him at His word and we seek to approach Him, and from our hearts, just saying, Deep rest, Lord. What I need from you is deep rest. You do, and what we find out is, Jesus is rest. He's all authority. He's the king of kings. He commands the angel armies, but his presence is rest. Jesus is rest. So could I encourage you to pursue that, consider that. We have all of these things that really matter to us that are working in us Who do I take them to and how do I find the one I'm going to take them to? Very likely it is those things that you're listing are the very things that are wearing you out. Are the very things that are causing us to be weary. Deep rest, Lord. Deep rest for my deep tire. Seek his presence. The second thing is give them to him. Give them to him. Top three, top one, top five. What are the ten? This is this is vital. We, we we can not really be sure that the Lord hears my prayers and answers my prayers because I am so general in the way I make my prayers. God bless me. Got to give it all to you. You know, God, just just love me. Well, how do you need to feel his love? Where do you need to feel it? What is it it that I want him to bless? We we mentioned last week those examples of the the young boy, the five loaves and the two fish. He he, he laid his provision at the feet of Jesus. Had no idea what multiplication was fixing to happen when that happened. The the, the demon-possessed, out-of-control, crazy man. Came and brought his craziness to the feet of Jesus. And as we tried to mention last week, everybody sitting in this house, everybody listening out yonder, has some out of control area in our lives. It may be a knee jerk attitude that's just maybe automatically critical, automatically judgmental, automatically negative. It, it, it's an attitude that just comes out, or it may be some other kind of thing that we just can't seem to break free from. We just can't seem to go on without. The amazing thing is when that crazy man, who there were no chains, no shackles that could bind him. They tried again and again. They had tried to constrain him, but he kept breaking. There was supernatural strength that was working to break himself free but he really wasn't free. He just stayed in his bondage even though he could be strong enough to break chains. And he came when he saw Jesus, he came to Jesus with his craziness. He came to Jesus Jesus with all of his out-of-controlness and Jesus handled it. So we're talking about those places, the out-of-control places in our lives, the deepest desire places in our lives, the provision places in our lives to give them to him, to give them to him. I remember a preacher one time saying there's a difference between giving the Lord something and surrendering something to the Lord. Give carries it with the idea that we can get it back. We can be an Indian giver and take it back. But when it's an uncontrolled uh, 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 or a surrender that that has no no restrictions to it, it's it's a total unconditional surrender, then it means that it is given up for good. And more than likely, that's what we're called to do as we give these things to the Lord. We surrender them to Him specifically, intentionally, The giving to him is expressed in words spoken or written. That's where the journal or the list comes in. But it can also be expressed in an action. It may be a key or a set of keys. It may be a set of photographs or pictures. And there's an expression of giving that one to the Lord, laying that one to the Lord handing over to him something out of the past represented by something physical. It may, be, it may be that. But whatever authentically represents from you to him, Lord, I give this to you. I'm laying this at your feet. Folks, if you'll take that seriously, God will begin to do some serious things with the specifics that you give to him. But where it is generalized, he he hears, but where we're needing specific response from him, then he deserves a specific request. He desires to be a part of the parts of our lives that matter the most to us. And that's one way that that happens. We give it to him. And not just for these four days or nights, but it it, it sets the precedent for the rest of the year because there'll be other things that'll come up. And I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you. The third part is this. When we give it to him, we agree with him about it we agree with him. We agree with him. It's one thing for us to say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you and then to have an asterisk and down at the bottom of the page, if I were you, God, this is what I would do. This is how I would handle it. If I had all the money in the world, if I had all the gold that ever mined cattle on every hill, this is what I would do. If I had the ability to influence the way people think, this is what I do. So we 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 give it to him with all of our opinions wrapped around it. I want you to notice a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, when Jesus was asked to teach the disciples how to pray, he gave the instruction, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if we're going to understand how to pray effectively, how to pray successfully, if you will, Jesus said from the very beginning, pray for the rule of God to come. Pray for what God's heart is in heaven to be done down here on this earth. You be in agreement with what the Father wants, and you will see what the Father wants demonstrated in your seeing and in your hearing. It's not primarily about using God, the Father, as some celestial genie. It is about understanding who he is and what he desires and what his longings are, what his mission is, what delights him and what offends him. And in the light of all of that, we hand our concerns over to him and we're just saying as we do that, Lord, I agree with you. I agree with you. Jesus puts it in another way in John chapter 14. If you want to just find that one real quick, we won't stay long. But John chapter 14, he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And then he says, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he repeats it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, what in the world does asking in his name mean? Jesus knew the word that he picked out to use when he spoke this. He knew the definition of the word. He knew what people then would know that the word name meant, and by giving it then, confident that it would be translated accurately all these generations since then. The word name means everything that the person represents. His his character. His position, his rank, his authority, the things about his heart, his his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his authority and his power, his wisdom. It means the things that he prefers. It means the things that offend him. It means the things that animate his walk, animate his pursuit his mission, his goal. If you ask me anything in my name, here's the word agreement again, family. If you ask me anything that is in agreement with who I am, with what you know my heart to be, anything, I will do it. You say, well, how how in the world can we know what God wants? How How can can we know that? That, that, That just seems impossible. No, it's not. The Scripture says that Jesus came for the express purpose of explaining the invisible God. So that when you would look at Jesus, it was as if you were looking at the Father. He stayed up all night long putting his hands on and speaking into the sick condition, so that they could be well, of of sick people, of of children, whose mothers didn't know what to do with them. Fathers didn't know how to make them well. And Jesus would call them up into his lap and put his hands on them and love them and heal them. It it is the heart of Jesus to rescue the one hard-headed sheep that got distracted or was just stubborn or was just going to do his own way. And he says, you leave the shepherd, the good shepherd, leave the 99 in safety and go after that one who's lost. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it wasn't just seek in the sense of a casual search and then go back and get a Coke. It was the idea of seeking and looking until what was being sought was found. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's the one who said, it is said of him that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when we are putting people before him, we're presenting needs before him. We're not presenting them to someone who has to be convinced to be merciful who has to be pulled back from all the things he's distracted about to finally listen to me. He ever lives, the scripture says. He ever lives, Hebrews says, to make intercession for us. So close, so real, so vivid is his relationship with us that he, without us even hearing it or knowing that he's doing it, he is praying for us, petitioning the Father. So when we lay someone or something or some burden down before him, we're agreeing with his heart. We're agreeing with what he knows is best. We may not know all of those things in the beginning, but because we have a sense of who he is, even though we don't know everything that he may do, because we have a sense of who he is, we can say, Lord, I agree with you for this one. I agree with your heart for that situation. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm trying to decide here whether I need to go one more step with this for those of you who are looking for and hoping for and praying for a breakthrough in the life of someone you care about. It's under this category of agreeing with the Lord. But there is another dimension, a warfare dimension of fighting for someone you care about, fighting for their freedom that is addressed in Scripture. I can't be exhaustive with this, but quickly, let me ask you to find Matthew chapter 17. And this is specifically for those of you who have someone you love It may even be some part within your own heart where you're captive. There's not freedom. And the Lord has the power. We know, we understand he has the power to set the captives free. But how does he do that? How might he choose to work to do that? Matthew 17, verse 14. When they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, O unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And verse 18, and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there and it shall move and nothing shall be impossible to you. And then verse 21, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. When it's about deliverance, when it's about a breakthrough, it's important that the agreement between the one praying and with the Lord himself flow from the place of faith and freedom this shall not this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting fasting from something is the expression of freedom from something it may be temporary but throughout the bible there are calls to fasting and prayer. And back on the table, back in the back, there are some, some uh, pages of information that could help you understand what is a fast, how does that work, what types of fast are there physically, how do you do those kinds of things. But it means, in most cases, it would be the doing without food, the doing without something that is regular in your life for the purpose of focusing in prayer and remaining free for that period of time from the pull, the calls of whatever this appetite might be. The demons wouldn't back off from the disciples' words because of a lack of authority. Jesus stepped in and the demon left. The disciples spoke, and the condition remained unchanged with the boy bound. The breakthrough didn't happen. But you just think along this line. Authority to set free will be expressed from a place of faith and freedom. The, the, the faith in Jesus was limited on the part of the disciples at this point because he, he hadn't been to the cross. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't accomplished redemption. The Holy Spirit hadn't come. So their faith in who he truly was was incomplete. But that's why he will say, if it's real faith, genuine faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, the, the faith of who Jesus really is. It doesn't have to be full flower, it doesn't have to be the size of a sequoia, but it, it it's it's big enough in the spirit realm that just confidence in who Jesus Christ is has the ability to move mountains when they need to be moved. When the individual expresses that kind of faith. But there is also this other part about fasting. Why fasting? Why fasting? It could very well be that it is because fasting represents a measure of freedom. The forces of darkness recognize freedom. It is an example to them of just one more soul, one more life that they don't have the control over anymore, that they lost, that Jesus now owns, Jesus now Controls. Darkness recognizes faith and freedom. Faith meaning being persuaded of, persuaded of who Jesus is. And freedom meaning that that which has controlled my life, that which would seem to have some sort of a legitimate role, it doesn't have the control anymore freedom, and faith that comes together in the spirit realm to constitute a realm of authority that you as a believer in praying for others and ministering to others have the opportunity to step into when the Lord leads you to step into that pursuit. Certainly to believe the Lord, but the calling to fast to set aside something, fast Facebook for a week, fast cheeseburgers for, you know, fast something that matters to you. It's not a flippant deal, not a trite thing. And for years and years here at Alamo City, that's that was, has been so much a part of the seek weeks that it would be, we would set these days aside so that our time would be more concentrated on looking to the Lord and freedom from these other things. In the hopes that, in the confidence that, should the year unfold and we find ourselves face to face with a situation in which somebody needs to be set free or there's some opportunity that could come our way, but it's being, it's being bound up. It's being held back. Prayer and fasting coupled together can be a powerful spiritual weapon for the purpose of deliverance, for the purpose of setting captives free. I would encourage you to consider for someone you love, some situation that just seems to be stuck unchanged, that you consider asking the Lord about setting aside a day in the week to fast and pray. You still go to work, you still do what you do, but instead of going to lunch or instead of coming home and it's news or sports from six to going to sleep. Those things are shut down. Those things are shut off. And I've got my Bible. I have a quiet place. And I'm standing before the Lord in prayer, putting before Him the need for a breakthrough in this situation. I can tell you I can testify the powerful things God is able to do when he finds us willing in the secret place, in the private place, with the discretionary time that we have to spend choosing to give that to him, choosing to honor him from the place of freedom from these things, but trusting in him for a breakthrough. It could be a marriage, it could be at work, it could be a relationship, it could be sickness, it could be anything. And to ask him, Lord, would you have me Is a part of this breakthrough, if it have to do with my prayer and fasting. Some information back there that may, may help you. I want to say this one other thing and we'll close. Revelation 12, 11, <clears throat> it is said that they overcame him, they overcame the devil, they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they loved their lives not even unto death. By the word of their testimony, by the place in their lives that Jesus had set them free. It's not saying that there was never any struggle. There weren't any more sins, but it is saying that at the core of who a person is, Jesus Christ has moved in, has moved in to set the captive free. That freedom, will you please hear this? That place of freedom that Jesus has brought you into, is recognized and is feared by darkness. Therefore, don't muzzle your testimony. Amen. That place where Jesus has set you free is setting you free, and you're in agreement with where the freedom came from. When the Lord ushers you into a situation where there's somebody just like you walk through, has walked through is walking through what you walk through, you are the most powerful threat to the darkness surrounding them that the universe can ever know. It's not Billy Graham. It's you. It's not some high-powered prayer warrior somewhere else. It's you by the word of your testimony that he has forgiven me I'm not still shackled by shame and guilt. I've been set free from the fear of retribution from the Lord and all the other things that would go on. I'm free. I'm forgiven. And Jesus did it. So, so as they come, as they come, as they come from the place of freedom And from the place of faith, you may not be able to speak with authority into every situation, but you can speak with authority into the situation from which Jesus has delivered you. That's your place of authority. Don't muzzle your testimony. Don't muzzle your testimony. Don't try to live so far past your testimony that people don't even know today that you were that kind of person before. Let them know. I was a slave, I was hopeless, I didn't have a future. People would say, you'll be dead by the time you're 25 or by the time you're 40. And the only reason I'm standing here is because of Jesus Christ and his blood covering me <laughs> and his power setting me free. The faith, the faith explodes when we realize God has done that in us so that we can believe him to do that in other people. Did you hear that? The Lord didn't save you just to save you. The Lord didn't set you free just so you could be free. He saves us. He sets us free so that we are able to in faith and with confidence engage the darkness and speak to those bones. You will live again. I was deader than you were. Dead of the doornail. That was me spiritually, you could say. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I can tell you that I know I'm forgiven. And I know where my home is, and I know God as my friend and not my foe. I know Jesus as somehow beyond any way I can understand as the lover of my soul. Seek weak. 2019. Laying at the feet of Jesus the things that matter to us. This starts the year and we continue on, God willing, with what we have learned, with what we have begun in these four days. Lord, thank you for your time with us this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the prompting, the stirring of your spirit in our hearts. Will you guide us now as we go from this place and we will move into some times to be quiet with you and to wait before you? Will you please make your presence real and will you please guide our thoughts and guide our emotions and Give to our understandings the things that you want us to have. And we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.